0: Well again, welcome everyone. What an exciting day to be here at Grumlaw Church. We are really, really thankful that all of you decided to carve out about an hour of your week and spend it here with us. Particularly if this is your first time with us, we really don't take that for granted. Uh, we count it a privilege that you would decide to show up here today and, and spend a little time at Grumlaw Church. We're gonna jump right into things here uh, this morning because we have a lot going on today, as, as many of you are probably aware. Most notably, uh, over these two services, 12 different people are going public with their faith through baptism. Like. That's pretty exciting, right? Yeah, that that gets us pretty fired up. In fact, I look more forward to these days, these baptism Sundays early than I do any other day of the year. There's something really, really powerful about hearing firsthand from people whose lives have been completely transformed because of Jesus. So I'm looking forward to celebrating that here in just a minute. But we're in a series right now, as you probably already gathered, because you all are smart people, called You in Five Years. And really the question that we've been teasing out and really asking each of you to wrestle with is this, is who do I want to be five years from now? Where do you wanna be five years from now? What do you hope to have accomplished five years from now? And the reason this is such an important question to ask, whether you're a Christian or not, because this is not just a Christian thing, this is indeed a human being, this is a life thing, is because future you is just an exaggerated version of current you. Uh, Guess what, If, if you're a cheap person now, as you get older, you're just going to be cheaper. If you are a forgiving person now, as you grow older, you'll extend even more grace and more compassion. You'll even be more forgiving. If you're a person that's really, really high strung now and wound up now, as you get older, you're just going to continue to get more and more anxious unless you make a change. Unless there's something very, very intentional that you implement into your life, but it's certainly not going to happen by accident. And becoming who you want to be, and more importantly, as we've been talking about who God wants you to be five years from now, it's not going to take some drastic one-time decision that you make here this morning. But instead, ongoing consistency over an expended period of time, like, like a five-year period of time. Now, the reality is, is that every single one of us, we all find ourselves at different points on this whole faith journey, particularly on a day like today where we have so many people that are walking through our doors. And frankly, the only reason that you're here is because you're just here to support somebody that's being baptized. But it's one of the things I love about this church is that every single Sunday, there's always new people here. And so, I promise you're feeling kind of like oh, I'm alone in this. You're not. I guarantee there are other people that are here that are also walking through our doors for the first time. And so, it's for that reason that, again, people find themselves at all different points on this whole faith journey. And for some of you, when I say something like who God wants you to be five years from now, you frankly could care less because you're not even sure if God exists. And, and if God does exist, You feel like he's maybe been dealing you bad hands up to this point in your life, or at the very least, he is ignoring you. So why would you care about what God may want for your life? But even the most skeptical people that are sitting in this room today, I I am pretty confident that you're not 100% sure that this is a load, that that, that this is just some kind of fairy tale that people thousands of years ago invented. And, And the reason that I know that is because if you knew that beyond the shadow of a doubt, that this was nothing more than this big story, than this big hoax that that people dreamt up 1,000 years ago and has been duping people ever since, I don't think you would be sitting here today. I I don't think you would have walked through our doors, no matter how badly somebody may have wanted you to show up here, no matter how much inviting they would have extended to you. I don't think you would have joined us. We don't tend to involve ourselves in things that we know 100% are a scam. And so regardless of how skeptical you might be here this morning, no matter where you find yourself on this whole faith journey, you owe it to yourself to get this figured out. You owe it to yourself to know 100%. You owe it to yourself to get the questions that I think we all have circling around in our heads as it relates to faith. I I, I don't think that this is something that should fall into the wait and see category. I don't think you should just cross your fingers and see what happens at the end of your life because the implications are far, far too profound. Years ago, I was on a trip in Brazil, as a mission trip with uh, a, a group of buddies. In fact, the, the soccer team that I was a part of in, in college, we went down to Brazil and for 10 days, we were on this houseboat traveling up and down the, the Amazon River. And every single day we would stop at a new village or a new town, it was an incredible experience. And one of the warnings that the guides gave us that were taking us up and down the Amazon, they told us that, hey, at, at every one of these towns, there's gonna be street food for sale and it's gonna be really, really cheap, and it's gonna be kinda tempting to buy it, but I would tell you, don't buy that food. They are not following any health code violations, your little American bellies aren't gonna be able to handle it, so stay away from the street food. Well, what did I do? I was like, it's a pretty good deal. I mean, for like a dollar, you can get a lot of food, and man, does it look pretty good. And I found out that it did taste pretty good. And every day, usually multiple times a day, I was going up to these street vendors and just inhaling this food, and everybody else is looking at me like, you are out of your mind. And the guide that was with us was like, that's a terrible idea. You are going to be up all night in the toilet. Like, this is not going to be a good thing for you. But despite all the, morning, all the warnings, my reaction every single time was the exact same. I'd look at him, I'll say, eh, we'll see. But what we're talking about here on Sunday mornings is not Brazilian street food. There is far, far more at stake than a terrible night's rest where you're wondering to yourself, oh my goodness, I wish I wouldn't have done that. And I don't say any of that to intimidate any person that walked through our doors today because in fact, Jesus is far too good to have to scare any of you with things like heaven and hell. I say all that because if Jesus is who he claimed to be, I mean, if Jesus really is the son of God, I mean, if he really did predict his own death and predict his own resurrection and after three days in a grave, I mean, he's back. He's, he's hanging out with his disciples. And by the way, there's a whole mess of evidence to suggest just that, that it means enormous, enormous implications for how you ought to live your life over these next five years, and in fact, for the rest of your life. So I invite you, with all that in mind, I invite you to keep coming back. Keep bringing your skepticism. Keep asking questions, keep exploring this whole faith thing and see what God maybe has in store for you as outlandish as that maybe seems to you right now. But today, again, as mentioned, we are entering into part four of five of this series. Uh, if you've been around here at all, you know that each week kind of builds off of the last. And so for that reason, I really, really encourage you, if you missed any of the first three parts of the series, head over to grumlaw.com slash messages, catch yourself up there. You can listen to the messages, you can watch the messages, or you can find us under Grumlaw Church wherever you happen to grab your podcast. But if you've been tracking with us for the first three weeks of the series, you may have noticed that we're kind of answering those who, what, when, where, why type questions. And so in the first week, we talked about, again, this question, we just talked. Who do I want to be five years from now? What do you hope to have accomplished? And maybe some things were sparked in your mind after that first week. You want to learn that new language. You maybe want to go back to school. You, you, you Maybe you want to be closer to God five years from now, hopefully, than you are right now. Maybe you want to be a better parent. Maybe you want to be a better spouse. Who do you want to be five years from now? And then the second week, we talked about the why. Why is it so difficult for us to change? And it really comes down to inertia. Let's be honest, we're really good at just sticking with what we already have going, whether it's a good thing or it's a bad thing. And it takes a lot of energy to kind of get ourselves out of that rut and then continue to stay the course. And then the last week of course talked about how do I change? And again, it's not just this big one-time drastic decision, but ongoing consistency over an extended period of time. And so we challenge you to make your goals small, like, like stupidly small. Too small to fail. Make your goals so incredibly small that you'll actually do them. And today, as we move on here to part four, we're gonna be talking about the when. When are you going to make these changes? When will I make these changes? And I actually think that this is a fairly simple question to answer. See, every single one of us, we all know this, you have 24 hours available to you each and every day, correct? We have 24 hours available to each and every day at our disposal. And so let's think of each hour and each day as a line on this pad pad of paper here, okay? So I'm going to try to draw 24 lines. I mean, this is going to be a challenge for me, counting to 24. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24. Yeah easy crowd here okay as most churches are okay i always said like if if this whole pastor thing doesn't work out i'll be a christian comedian because christians are the easiest crowds on the planet okay anyway that's well beside the point uh most of us as we think about these 24 hours that we have available to us each each day and we think about our days just in general uh, i think most of us would agree that we think of our days as essentially beginning when we rise from our pillows in the morning right Basically, when we wake up, that is when our day starts. So for most of us, that's probably somewhere around like 7 o'clock in the morning. Some of you maybe get up a little bit earlier. Others of you maybe get up a little bit later. Uh, But for continuity's sake, most of us are waking up usually right around 7 o'clock in the morning. And this is when we think of our days as basically beginning. We're we're awake and a new day awaits us. But what I want to propose to you this morning is that that's actually a little bit backwards it's certainly not how the rest of the world thinks of this. It's more of a Western-type philosophy, and it's really a a more recent development, and it's certainly, it's not actually what God even intended. And I think this is part of the reason that a lot of us have a really difficult time changing. I'll I'll explain what I mean by that. In the book of Genesis, not going to assume that everybody knows where that is or what that is, uh, the Bible, this book that we refer to as the Bible, is actually 66 different books that have been brought together to form one greater book that we refer to as the Bible. And the Bible's kind of divided into two sections. We have the Old Testament, first half of the Bible, and then we have the New Testament, which is kind of the second half of the Bible. Now all the way back at the very beginning of the Old Testament, and thus the beginning of the Bible, there's this book called Genesis. And in the book of Genesis, it starts out by documenting the creation of the world, where God breathed life into the world, and and the heavens and earth were born. And and things like trees and plants suddenly came out out of nothing, and then certainly human beings came out of that as well. And here in Genesis chapter one, you can't go any earlier than this, God actually sits here and he defines is what a day looks like in his head and so right here we jump into Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 it says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth the earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters that sounds nice right by the way if you read this book called the Bible you are going to come across verses like this and it's okay to have these thoughts where you go what's going on here The spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters, is that like a hot spring and there's like some cool things going on? We don't have time to dissect that, but I just wanna give you permission that it's okay when you read the Bible sometimes to think, what in the heck is that? All right, then God said, let there be light and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, there's our word, and the darkness night. And this is really what I want us to focus in on here. And evening passed, notice the order, evening passed and morning came, Marking the first day. I I find that interesting that the very first time that God ever addresses a day, he does not define it from morning till evening, but instead from evening to morning, from evening to morning rather than, again, looking at it from morning to evening, how we traditionally think of it. And this isn't just some one-time occasion that we find this in scripture, that I'm using one verse to support the rest of this theory. In fact, as I was doing research for this, uh, those words morning and evening are contained within the exact same verse exactly 40 times throughout scripture. And so I have to come to the conclusion that that was actually very, very intentional, that, that when we look at how most of us probably think about our days, dare I say it, we're, we're maybe looking at it incorrectly. And when we think about the when, when are we going to make these changes in order to become the person that, that we want to be, who, that, that God wants us to be five years from now, we ought to get back to the basics as it relates to the limited amount of time that we have here on earth. Rather than thinking of our day as, as right here as beginning at like seven o'clock in the morning, we maybe like like God is saying here from evening to morning, should be thinking about our days as beginning in the night when, when, when the sun begins to go down. So about this time of year, you know, right around seven o'clock p.m., And we should be thinking, obviously, of of the day coming back in all of its glory. You know, usually the sun's up, you know, by 7 o'clock in the morning. Okay? This is the 12 hours right here that we should be focusing on. This is when you have the time to take those small, consistent steps that are going to change your life, either for the better or for the worse. But when we typically think of our days, let's be honest, we usually focus on this block of time. From the time when we wake up, you know, right until, you know, about... 6 p.m. But the irony there is that is actually the amount of time that we have the least control over, right? I mean, think about it, you must go to work. You must take Billy to soccer practice. By the way, I don't know why this is the case, but the hypothetical kid in the story, his name is always Billy. Uh, You must go to the dentist. You must be a part of that meeting. You must wait in line at the post office. You must make the deposit at the bank. You get the idea. There are certain non-negotiables that have to take place during this block of time. This is right here when life is messiest. This is when life just continues to be unpredictable. This is the block of time where we continue to be owned by our circumstances. I mean, think about that. We focus on what we have the least control over. And we neglect what we actually do have control of. By the way, this block right here is the far superior and far more powerful time in shaping the life that you want to live and who you want to become. And so this morning, again, not just a Christian thing, a human being thing, let's stop thinking in terms from morning till evening and instead evening till morning. Let's focus right here on these 12 hours. And here's what I'm proposing here. If you anchor your evening and your morning, then in the middle of the day, Come what may, you've already had a great day, and yes, that rhymes a lot, and some of you are like, that's the lamest thing I've ever heard in my life, but it does not make it any less true. Make that time right here from evening until the morning. Make that time the the, the best that it can be, and regardless of what happens right here in the midst of the chaos, regardless what happens in the, the stuff that you really can't control, you don't really care. It's not that big of a deal because you've already had a great day. In other words, it's really, really hard to have a bad, bad day that starts and ends well. I mean, it's possible, but it's rare. If your evenings and your mornings are incredible, it's hard to have a bad day. Now, I think there are two ways, uh, really, really simple today. We're going to go ultra simple in order to make this a reality. And the first one is this, sleep. All of you really ought to get sleep, and as much as some of you don't wanna hear this because you already get nagged by your spouse about this, we are all smart enough to know how this one thing affects everything else. It affects how you interact with your coworkers. It affects your productivity. It, it, It affects your relationship with your spouse. It affects your relationship with your kids, and it certainly affects your relationship with God. Everybody's seen those Snickers commercials, right, where at the end it says, you're not you when you're hungry. We could take that word hungry and swap it out with don't sleep, and it would hold every bit as true. You are not you when you don't sleep. In fact, you're probably kind of a nightmare when you don't sleep. None of you have this special skill that precludes you from getting a good night's rest. Some of you, frankly, have gotten really, really good at excusing yourself from this, but you're certainly not exempt. Uh, my dad growing up, he, he was notorious for this. As we've gotten a little bit older, he seems like he's gotten a little bit better. Um, but growing up, he, he was notorious for usually, you know, in the evening, you know, about right this time, seven, eight o'clock at night, he would find his way down into the living room and then into his chair, which, by the way, is really something I'm looking forward to in my 40s and 50s, <laughs> having a chair. I mean, it's just like your chair, it's understood, you sit there, something awful might happen to you, it's perfectly conformed to your bottom. A lot of wives and kids are looking at their dads like, you have a chair, did you know that? Yeah, it is your chair, I'm looking forward to that. But usually my dad would get there, you know, seven, eight o'clock at night, and usually by about nine o'clock rolling around, you know, he'd be reading a book, he'd be watching some sporting event, he'd be watching some TV show, he'd start pulling this number. And then something would happen on the television, right? And We've seen this play out, looks up and he's back, he's alive. He's come back to life. You know, he's there, you know, for another five, ten minutes, and then it takes over again. You start nodding again, and you go over there and mess with him. You know, stick your finger in his eye, and you know, he's back. He's irritated. And usually by about midnight, doing this literally for three straight hours, he would finally find his way into bed. He would then get up the next morning at five o'clock in the morning, and he just would not understand why he was so grumpy and why he was so irritable. And you'd call him out on it. As we got older, we would start to call my dad out on this, and we'd be like, okay, Dad, look at this. And you're like, Dad, you... you you're, you're tired and you're, and you're grumpy because you only got five hours of sleep at night. And he's like, no, 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 I got eight. You're like, dad, you are counting those three hours where you were doing like this whole thing. That, that, that doesn't count towards your sleep. Some of you have actually convinced your spouse that you actually only need five hours of sleep. Guess what? They're a liar. They just have a Netflix addiction that they haven't dealt with. You used to be this kind and patient and loving person. But now like your whole family has just resolved themselves to the fact that you are Batman. You wake up in the morning, you start rolling around the house, you're like, who tracked this dirt into the house? It's like, awesome, Bat Dad is alive and well because he won't sleep. Well, let me show you who bears a lot of the blame for this. Anybody know who this guy is? Not one person knew in the first service, by the way. Anyone? Thomas Edison. We have at least a couple smart people here. Now, granted, I did pick the more sinister, younger-looking Thomas Edison. You're probably used to seeing the older pictures of him, but I I chose this picture because I think Thomas Edison's kind of a jerk because back on December 31st of 1879, old Tommy here flipped a switch for a very first time in a public setting, and just like that, light became available with little to no effort to people like me and you. Your great-great-grandparents, before he invented that incandescent light bulb, they were sleeping on average 10 hours a night. That was the average just a couple decades ago. Fast forward to present day and the average American now sleeps six hours and 51 minutes. And just in case you're wondering, that, that, that is certainly not an improvement. And I, I don't need to tell you this. It's, it's only gotten worse because of people, you know, other jerks like Steve Jobs and Bill Gates. And they've invented these little blue lights that are beckoning for our attention at all hours of the night. Sarah Mednick, who's the associate professor of psychology at UC Irvine, who's done extensive research as it relates to sleeping and and sleeplessness, Uh, she's quoted as saying this, studies have conclusively, as in it's really not even up for debate at this point, the entire scientific community pretty much agrees on this, links sleeplessness to irritability, anger, depression, and mental exhaustion. You don't eat well, you're not in a good mood, you have less energy, They've actually proven now that you're more susceptible to sickness and illnesses, and it all spirals kind of out of control from there. Sleep is the base, as we probably all come to figure out, that holds the rest of it together. There's actually a study done uh, several years ago, and it was fascinating when I was was reading about this, preparing for this message. Uh, Done several years ago, and they found that you getting four hours less of sleep than what you typically get. So if you're usually an eight-hour person, you get four. Six hours, you get two. They found that that four hours less of sleep a night has the exact same effect on the human body as does drinking six beers in a pretty short amount of time. Would you want to get behind the wheel of a car knowing that the person that's traveling the opposite direction just polished off their sixth beer? Would you want to get into a plane that that is piloted by a person that that just drank their sixth beer? Would would you want to send your kid to school under the supervision of, of a teacher that just drank their sixth beer? Do you think people want to be around you after you just drank your sixth beer? Some of you are like, I don't know. I'm pretty fun when I have six beers. No, you're not. You're probably obnoxious. You're impaired. You are impaired by not sleeping. So what's the magic number, right? I mean, how much should we actually sleep? And I'm going to show you here. Eight hours. Now, some of you are going to roll your eyes at that and think that's absolutely ridiculous that anybody could actually get consistently eight hours of sleep a night, but this is what literally every piece of data would point to. And in fact, the top performers in our society, whether that's uh, looking at athletics, whether that's looking in the marketplace, in every area of our society, top performers actually typically sleep about eight hours and 36 minutes a night. And so those six hours that you're seemingly proud of aren't very good. See, we set alarms for when we ought to wake up. I think we should start setting alarms for when we ought to go down. And I think we ought to be far more intentional about winding down. This is a, a subject that fascinates me. If you haven't noticed, I like really nerded out preparing for this. Uh, it's a question I actually ask people quite often. I'm like, how much sleep do you get? Because I, I just can't believe when I meet people that consistently get like two to like three, four hours of sleep a night. I, I can't understand how they function because I'm pretty much a wreck if I get like six hours or less. But uh, one of the questions that typically comes up as a result of that when these people that get less sleep, they're like, well, I, I just had a hard time falling asleep, so I just kind of gave up. And so I'll ask him as a follow-up question, okay, well, well, what do you do before you go to bed? And you come to find out, we have terrible self-awareness sometimes as human beings. They'll they'll tell you things like, well, I don't know, I drink a cup of coffee about nine o'clock, drink a Diet Mountain Dew. Usually, I don't know, I get into the cabinet and eat a pretty good amount of food. Then I watch an action movie or, you know, sit there and I watch some sport that I'm really interested in, kind of gets my adrenaline going. Then I usually lay in bed. Most of us do this. Then you scroll on your phone for about 45 minutes. And yeah, I put my head on the pillow and I can't fall asleep. I mean, what the heck? It's not rocket science, right? You're sending your body mixed messages. It's like driving in the middle of winter with your windows down and you're pumping the heat at full blast. Your body doesn't know what to do with that. So number one is sleep and then number two is, is we grow. And I would propose that, that we use this time to grow, these, these 12 hours here at our disposal in three different ways, physically, creatively, and spiritually. That first area again is, is physically. We, we, we talked about this uh, if you were here at, at Easter just a little bit uh, you know, over a month ago on Easter, that most of us, uh, given the opportunity with a quick snap of the fingers, we would probably change something about ourselves physically, whether we would admit that or not. Most of us, it would probably come down to something either, either with our weight or just getting into a little bit better shape. In 1 Corinthians, which is actually a letter written by a guy that went by the name of Paul uh, to these early Christians living in this area called Corinth, and hence its name Corinthians, he said this. He says, don't you realize And by the fact that he's saying, don't you realize, he probably figured that they didn't realize, uh, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself, which is kind of a startling statement, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Take care of your body is what Paul's trying to express. You were bought at a price In fact, you were bought at an exceedingly high price when God sent down his one and his only son to die for you, to to, to pay the penalty on a cross for your sins. Every day is a gift and it is your responsibility to be a good steward with the body that God has bestowed upon you. So start knocking out that one push up a night. Get, Get off the couch. And and actually go for a walk at night rather than just just, just sitting there and and wasting your evenings away. Start to use that gym membership that's on auto renewal despite the fact that you've only gone like once a month for like the last year. That is an expensive membership. All that weight is not going to fall off by itself and it's certainly not going to fall off overnight. Again, that's the premise for this whole series. Ongoing consistency is far more important than short-term intensity but start chipping away. Some of you have literally had this thought floating around in your head for years. What is keeping you from tonight being the night where you actually start to chip away at this? Uh, I wanna show you a picture here of, of my sister, Brielle. You've probably seen her around here. She's super involved here at, at Grumlaw Church. This picture was taken a couple years ago after she ran a marathon or a half marathon. I don't know why you guys do that yourselves. Like, I mean, it's crazy running those crazy distances. It's like, we have cars, okay? Um, I'm kidding, I'm really proud of her. This is a picture of my sister uh, from high school. It's her senior picture taken just a couple years earlier. And, and before I get into this, uh, I wanna be really, really clear. I loved this Brielle just as much as that Brielle. I mean, the, 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 both of these, these young women, I, I really, really cared about them, but I'll tell you one thing right now, this Brielle is a lot more confident. That Brielle is far more secure. That Brielle is far more comfortable and content in her own skin than that Brielle. I'm so proud of what she did, but again, it didn't happen overnight. It was slow and steady wins the race where I'm looking at her and I'm like, dang, she's not eating what she used to eat. Wow, she's like eating almost all rabbit food and she used to eat like not rabbit food, like other things that weren't particularly healthy. And dang, she's waking up earlier so that she can go work out. And wouldn't you know it slowly but surely there's a physical transformation that occurred, but it took daily disciplines during these 12 hours that were available to her each day. The next area is creatively. This doesn't mean that you necessarily like paint a picture or take an interpretive dance class, but, but it could, uh, I suppose. But when I say creatively, I'm talking about bettering yourself and the people around you, particularly those people that, that, that are closest to you. you. You begin to read those two pages of a book each night and then you allow momentum to take over. You, you start spending those five minutes in the evening memorizing a word from that language that you really wanna have down pat five years from now. You, you start devoting more time to actually playing and interacting with your kids. You reclaim that childhood passion that you had of, of maybe fishing or, or, or riding a bike. Uh, you actually at night start to do physical things like riding a bike with your spouse rather than just sitting on a couch. One of the things I love about John, he's our, uh, our music director here and his wife, Maddie, they are notorious bike riders. Uh, at the end of a the night, uh, they're usually not just sitting around their house on, on a couch. They jump on their bikes and ride all around grand blank and just kind of enjoying God's creation. You, you begin to creatively think, of okay, how can I use my time for, for something more, for something better than just sitting on a couch, watching TV and aimlessly scrolling through my phone? And I'm telling you, and in fact, your life has probably already shown you this, uh, your life will be better. You'll truly feel more fulfilled. You'll have more contentment when you begin to live this way. I mean, just think about it logically. Like, do you feel better about yourself after having watched TV for like three straight hours with your kids or when you go on like a family walk? Do, do, do you feel better about yourself than you, you know, when, when you go out and you like maybe go kayaking with your wife for a couple hours or when you just sit on a couch and just you might as well be worlds apart and you've just scrolled through your phone and let hours and hours and hours chip away? So many of us are, are, are stuck in this rut I think in a lot of cases, it gives birth to full-blown depression because you've gotten into such a terrible, horrendous rut creatively. Your life has become so mundane. You're glued to your phone. You're glued to your electronic devices. Start taking that small step daily in this creative space and watch how the anxiety and the depression and the worry begins to dissipate. All those things that you worry about, of course they are brought to the forefront of your mind because you're sitting around doing nothing. You have nothing to distract you, so get busy, get creative. And the last, but certainly not least, you need to grow spiritually. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower, you're sitting in this room, you don't identify as a Christian, you're kind of off the hook here, you can zone out and start jacking around on Facebook if you want. But all you Jesus followers, you have to, you have to make it a priority to grow spiritually. This is not something that is just going to happen by accident. This is not something that you're just going to kind of stumble into. You have to be as intentional with your relationship with God as you would any other relationship in your life. This is by far one of the strangest things that American Christians in particular do. We put our relationship with God on this like other type of pedestal we, we think that somehow, like saying a prayer you know, before our meal, we, we think by showing up here you know, you know, three, four times a month for an hour at a time is somehow going to sustain that relationship. That wouldn't work with your spouse. Certainly wouldn't work with your kids. It wouldn't work with your closest friends. Why would we think our relationship with God would operate any differently? It takes time. Little by little and discipline just like anything else. I mean, even Jesus made this a priority. If there, were, if there was anyone that could have been exempt from this, they would have looked at and been like, yeah, I can kind of get that because you are, after all, the son of God. He did not overlook this. In fact, throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the four books that we refer to as the gospels. Those four books document Jesus's life, his death, and his resurrection kind of from four different perspectives. Within those books, we see all of these occasions where Jesus would carve out this intentional time to get away from his friends, to get away from family, and just spend quality alone time with his heavenly father. I pulled out just one example from the book of Mark. It says, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. I'm a pretty simple man. If the Son of God If the guy that called his death and called his resurrection that it actually happened, if it was good enough for him, then it's good enough for me. Jesus not only talked about making this a priority, he modeled it so well. As we talked about last week, maybe you're in this rut spiritually. Just begin spending five minutes a morning with him. It would be staggering what God would do through this church, through this community of people, if just the Christians in this room got this right. If we just dedicated time daily to bettering ourselves and growing spiritually. And even if you're, you're not wearing that label of Christian, can I be so bold as to tell you that, that I still think this would be a really good idea for you? That, that, that you would start actually reading the Bible There's a woman named Brittany that was baptized in in the last service and she admitted to me during her baptism story, she's like, I honestly thought that the Bible was a bunch of religious chants and prayers. And then in one service, I kind of just you know, very casually threw out this challenge to, to read the book of Luke, one of those gospel books. And by the way, if you've never dug into the Bible, start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those four books that do, just document Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. She goes, I opened that thing up. I, I expected to see prayers and chants. And, and here I find like, man, there's like rich history here. And on top of that, there's all this stuff that like really applies to my life. And through that daily reading through the book of Luke, something that she just thought was innocent because she's just a reader, God began to grab a hold of her. God started to grab her attention. Start praying. Some of you are scared to death to pray. It's nothing more than sharing honest feelings with God. Carve out just a little time each day and watch what God begins to do in your life. You have nothing to lose. Like, like I said earlier, you owe it to yourself to see if there's any validity to this stuff. As you draw closer to God, so in the incredible promises that He gives us, He will inevitably draw closer to you. In Matthew 6 6, it says, But when you pray, and this is Jesus actually instructing His disciples, those 12 guys that He spent all that time with, this is Him instructing them how to pray. Go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. And the reward, let's make this really clear, is not everything that you ask for. It's a closeness, it's an intimacy with God that in turn gives birth to trust. It's a relationship, which is what God is after, not religion, but relationship that is achieved little by little, day by day, a daily commitment to grow spiritually. As we think about growing physically, creatively, and spiritually, uh, as we wrap up here this morning, there are two quick tips here that I wanted to leave with you. Number one, detach daily from your phone, and number two, plan your day and write it down. Uh, th- this talk had come across as like grumpy old dude like up on the stage that, that just really hates smartphones. Uh, I promise you that is not the case. I love my iPhone. I love the luxuries that it provides for me. I love the convenience that my iPhone provides to me. I do not wanna go back to the flip phone but come on, because of all of the things that our phones offer us, I bet just about every person in this room is guilty of this to a certain extent, that our phone has essentially become one with us. It's really, really rare for you to go basically anywhere without your phone. And so I chose that word very intentionally, detach. It's gonna feel like you're sawn off a limb at first. This is one of the things that I, I practice in my own home. I, I'm not honestly perfect at this. Uh, I was pretty good at it this week because I knew I'd be talking about it, so I didn't wanna be a liar. Uh, but every day, Uh, When I get home from work, I take my phone and either put it on a shelf in our living room or I just go into our room and put it on the nightstand. And I I don't look at it until my kids go to bed, usually about 8, 8.30 at night, because then it forces me to actually engage and like, you know, hang out with with my two young children. And then at that point, I look at it real quick just to make sure there's no emergency. I'm I'm not that important, so there basically is never an emergency. Uh, And then at that point, I set it back down until I go to bed so that my wife and I actually have conversations with one another. I bet all of you have had this moment at some point in your life where you've been sitting there and you're like, holy smokes, I I am literally letting life kind of pass me by. I'm forfeiting like relationships that could be strengthened right now because I'm just sitting there just scrolling mindlessly through my phone. Like, why do you really care what your friend ate for dinner last night? And they're not even really like your friend because you don't even know who they are. Like, who's that person? Why did they accept that friend request? What's going on here? Why am I wasting my life away? So detach daily from your phone. I think whether, again, you're a Christian or not, uh, you will not regret taking that step. And then number two, Plan your day and write it down. Now, some of you are a little bit more free spirited and the idea of actually writing down your day kind of freaks you out and you're like, I don't like doing that, I just want my day to be open. But the reality is, unless we write it down, unless we have some sort of accountability written down on paper, you're not gonna stick to it. At least for any extended period of time. I'm not talking about this block here, I'm talking about the from evening to morning. And then put it in a place where, where the people that you live with, where the people that know you best can actually call you on it. They could be like, hey, have you actually been getting eight hours of sleep? Hey, I noticed there that you said that you're going to carve out 15 minutes a day to spend with God. Are you actually doing that? Again, data actually shows that when we write things down, we are far more likely to actually follow through with those things, whether you consider yourself a writer or not. So detach daily from your phone, plan your day, and write it down. This is the win. From evening to morning, and by committing to sleep, I know that sounds so simple, and committing to grow, your life, I'm telling you, is going to look dramatically different five years from today. I'll go farther than that and actually tell you, your life will be better than it is today. Which, by the way, if you're new to this whole Christianity thing, this is what Jesus is all about. He longs to make your life better and make you better at life. And he went to enormous lengths to demonstrate that to you when he died on a cross for